if you ask me, I think in the next couple of years, if we focus and look at the areas that we simply can't find those skilled labor, that's going to be the markets continue to grow. There's a lot of cool technology out there, you know, with AI and so forth. It's just, it might be almost five years ahead of where we are today. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode 105. Today, we're talking about using robots in machine shops for 3D printing and plenty of other applications with Nate Brazell. Nate is the vice president of sales and marketing at KUKA North America. Now, surely you know KUKA. If you've been to a trade show, if you've seen an orange robot moving around, that's KUKA. Definitely a trademark thing of theirs. Easy to spot. But I'm excited to get into some of the details of what these folks do today. So here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, we'll learn a bit about Nate and hear what it's like working in industries that always seem to be on the cutting edge. Second, we're going to discuss trends in robotics. We're going to talk about cobots and more than a few specific applications where he sees them as a fit. Plus, we'll get into a couple applications that might actually surprise you as to how much robots are doing in this space. Finally, we'll talk about company culture, how it evolves, and Nate also shares a really cool approach he uses to engage a diverse set of perspectives from his teammates and coworkers on a consistent basis. You definitely want to stick around for that, and if you want to access any of the resources or things we talk about in this episode, you can do that over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 105 to access the show notes. Also, I do want to say, I'm actually going to be partnering with KUKA coming up at IMTS 2022, one of the biggest manufacturing shows in the country, taking place in Chicago, Illinois, September 12th through 17th. If anything we talk about in this episode interests you, well, you might be able to see some of it firsthand by swinging by booth 236807. That's a mouthful, 236807. I'll be hanging out there with Jake Hall, the manufacturing millennial, showcasing a lot of the cool things that KUKA and their partners are up to. If you want to learn more and if you want to register, well, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash KUKA2022. KUKA is spelled K-U-K-A, and it'll take you right to the page where you need to be to get all the information on KUKA at IMTS 2022. And if you're listening to this episode after September 2022, well, head to that link anyway to get all the current updates on KUKA. And with that, it's time for today's episode. I hope you're ready for some good tunes, because it's time to meet up with Nate Brazell. Okay, Nate, you and I were chatting before the interview. My, my first question, my audience knows this is always the first question. If we were having this conversation over a beverage at a bar, what bar would that be? And you told me you have a very specific spot in mind. Yeah, Chris, um, that's a good question. I like the opener. So if I were to meet you to have a beverage, it would probably be Buddy Guy's Legend Bar in Chicago. And, uh, you know, that's a place that, you know, I've gone a thousand times over the years. It's just a good place. It's low key. The music's good. And, and yeah, that'd be uh, probably my, my, my play. 
So, you know, all the, the idea is it's we're having this conversation over beverage. There's some great blues music going on in the background, but it's not too loud. Still, uh, still quiet enough that we're able to have a good dialogue. You know, I, I want to get to know you before we dive into some of the trends in robotics as well as some of the culture discussion. So I have to ask, you've had a long career in robotics. So what attracted you to the robotics space initially? Well, you didn't have to age me there, Chris. Uh, it's not that long. Uh, and, and I haven't been so long in robotics. We've been pushing probably 12 years in robotics, but yet the career's been more around the 25-year mark. You know, basically, you know, throughout my career, um, I've always seemed to gravitate towards organizations that, you know, that had the latest in technologies. Um, you know, started back in mobile communications back in the 90s and then on to like a freight security after 2001 uh, – 9-11 event where, you know, we were detecting for radiation and, and, and securing shipping containers. So, you know, it was pretty, pretty dynamic and high tech. Um, but, you know, in 2009-ish, I would say, I, I was offered an opportunity to work with a uh, global automation OEM offering robotic into arm tooling. Uh, so, you know, it was strong training, you know, clear direction and so forth. Uh, I accepted a role as a key account manager for this company. And I was to focus on OEM automotive. You know, so for the first time I walked into an automotive plant, there's thousands of robots. And I just knew right away, I was like, you know, this is the space for me. You know, at that point in time, this is going back 2009, I guess, uh, that same plant has about 2,400 KUKA robots manufacturing what I would call the ultimate driving machine. So I'm not going to talk about the brand, but it's the ultimate driving machine. So it's a, so at that point in time, I was like, yeah, this is a great fit. This is going to be a long-term career in this space. So I guess that brings up another question. When when did you realize that you were kind of attracted to the cutting edge, right? Because you mentioned you started in mobile before mobile was really the thing. You got, I mean, if you're getting into the robotics and automation space back in 2009, I'd say that's also on the cutting edge. At what point in your career did you realize that was becoming a theme in the roles you take on? You know, my, my father was uh, in sales and he actually he has the same position as I did throughout his career. And, and so, but it, I remember asking him one time, I was like, well, you know, he sold cotton, he was in textile. And he said, you know, it doesn't matter really what you're, you're offering your customers, you know, it's, it's the process, it's the, you know, the manufacturing process. And that, that was really what got him going. And it's kind of the same for me is, you know, all products eventually kind of become a consumer, you know, just a, a commodity product. You know, so you have to stay on the cutting edge to differentiate yourself. You just can't continue to be a commodity. So it runs in the family. I guess my follow-up to that is now on your most recent career adventure, you're with KUKA. So what attracted you there? It's honestly, I was with, you know, before, before KUKA, uh, I, was, I was with a pretty good organization. I really enjoyed where I was. And if I was to think of KUKA, I mean, everybody knows KUKA's name. You know, we're one of the big three. In, in the world. So to be a part of, of the organization, understand where they're going. And it, it was just exciting to be a part of a, a team and really groom the organization, build a high performance sales team and watch the growth. It was just sort of a no brainer to me. And the expectations were very clear. The market was very ripe, you know, especially with the pent up demand from COVID. You know, it was just something that I thought I wanted to take a next step. I've done you know, territory account manager, key account manager, sales manager, North American sales manager, now uh, VP of sales for an organization like KUKA with a strong brand. It, to me, it was just sort of a no-brainer. Now, I'm interested because you said you kind of 
got your first jump into this space in 2009. And I'm curious, when you started in robotics, what were the primary applications and challenges you were seeing people leverage robotics for? And how has that changed? Well, keep in mind, I was primarily in automotive. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we think of automotive, you're thinking joining, assembly, painting, things like that. So you know, I spent a lot of years doing that where I, I was kind of blinded from some of the other applications that were out there. But at that time, and skilled labor was still still a problem. It was 2009. <laughs> if you remember 2009, eight, it, it was not a great couple of years. So skilled labor and just labor in general and job shortages and all that was going on was, was pretty difficult. I don't think today is much different than it was back then. And skilled labor is still going away. We, we can't find them. So we're thinking of applications like like welding. I mean, that is uh, that's a, a great skilled labor, but it's just going away. So, you know, I, I see it to be the same. Yeah, I, it's funny how you bring that up, right? Like, if you think back then, like you kind of started right when there was a labor issue, and now for other reasons, we're seeing the labor issue all over again. So it is it's interesting <laughs> how it's cyclical like that. Um, you know, one thing that I do know is different now is, and this has been a big theme on the show recently. Actually, I should say the workforce issues are always a topic that come up here, but cobots is one that has recently started coming up fairly frequently. Collaborative robots. I, I'd love to get your take. And in fact, I, someone was just asking me uh, in the comments on LinkedIn the other day. It's like, hey, what are ideal applications for cobots? And I know that's an area that you have a lot of focus in at KUKA, so I'd love to get your perspectives. Yeah, so cobots. Gosh, I'm, I'm going. I'm pretty good with you know stamping my life to dates. And so if I think back to uh, 2013, 14, that range, uh, you know, cobots are you know starting to be a buzzword. And uh, you know, the product made sense for for tons of applications, but they were kind of misunderstood by the consumer. You know, it was it was basically people you know simply thought as if you bought a uh, a cobot. It was just a call saver, you know, eliminating fencing and safety and re- reducing overall footprint and workspace and so forth. Um, but the application that was, you know, evaluating that I was evaluating at the time wasn't the right product for what they were trying to accomplish. You know, the payload was too too heavy. The uh, uh, the required throughput and you know, it was too fast, and the accuracy and repeatability was too precise. And so, you know, cobots were kind of slow to launch to the market. And, you know, then it kind of seemed to just go away. <laughs> I mean, there was other companies were working on it, but it just didn't work quite like I think everyone thought it was, you know, you know, but, but today I think the consumers understand, you know, cobots and how they should be utilized with their manufacturing processes, um, you know, in large companies and also small companies nowadays, they could, they can all implement these things. They're, they're easy to use, you know, they're great for small part assembly, inspection, machine tending and you know, welding even. So, I think they've come a long ways. I, I do see a market for it. Electronics, I mean, it's, it's endless. But uh, at the end of the day, is, is a cobot right for the application? And, and I, th- I like how you described it as, hey, 2014, it was a buzzword. Um, payloads weren't there. The throughput demands couldn't be met. And we've seen things evolve to the point that they are fits for applications. And, and I've got some questions around some specific applications. This isn't necessarily specific to cobots, but 
you know, we, we have a lot of folks that are in the machining space. We have a lot of folks that are in the 3D printing space that listen to this show. So let me start with that first one. In your perspectives and, and from what you've seen, what is a robot's role in a machine shop? What are the applications that are a sweet spot? So let's just talk about cobots. I mean, cobots, are, they're used every day in machine shops and, and, and more and more every day. So machine tending, very simple, or loading and unloading parts all day long. Loading parts onto an inspection table, use another one to actually do the inspection. I mean, they're easy to install. They're easy to program. And, and I'd love to maybe hear, because when I think cobots, I'm thinking something that's working right alongside a human right? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe talk to the safety aspects about that as well, because loading, unloading makes a lot of sense. I'd love to hear it from a safety perspective also. I bet you've asked this question a few times. It's, it's, uh, and that goes back to, you know, the consumer and what they think, you know, if, again, you put a, a knife on the end of a cobot, it's just not safe anymore. So you really have to dig in and understand the application. Are you assembling small parts? Is it electronics? I mean, it works perfect for that, but, but maybe not so much if you're, if you're holding a knife, something that could be dangerous. Yes, it will stop after it pokes you, but you know, it really needs to be looked at closely with the, with the engineering team and applications team to understand, is this the right product for what we're trying to do? So then let's, let's shift over. And that makes a lot of sense, by the way, right? If something's holding a blade, I'm putting that inside of a cage, but in the case of another application, 3d printing, where are you seeing, again, your pick, cobots or robotics in general start to play a bigger role? <clears throat> Added to manufacturing, 3D printing has you know, come a long, long ways. Uh, it still takes a long, long time to make a part, <laughs> but it's still come a long ways. You know, I, I've seen cobots load, you know, like empty trays into a 3D print, printer. Start the printer. They've also, you know, wait, unload the printer. But the, I think the real big benefit of 3D printing is is the value and the benefit of the cobot and three printers? Um, you know, the in-arm tooling, the grippers. I think that's a really big value. You know, this means that you can redeploy, you know, the cobot for different applications on the fly. It, it, it's interesting because one of the topics is, hey, where is three D printing's purpose in? Industrial manufacturing, we've covered that on a couple past shows where it's more than just that cool tabletop unit you have next to your desk. But I like that you're bringing in the areas where, hey, when it comes to 3D printing, now here are the tools because 3D printing is a reality. Here are the tools you can use to make the production even more efficient. Exactly. One last question on this topic of, of, let's say, trends and applications is, you know, from your personal perspective – What's one of your big bets for robots in the next few years? Maybe your perspective, maybe the perspective you're seeing KUKA take on this. I'd love to get your thoughts. The big bets. So if we're just talking about a few years, you know, robots and, and AI working together, you know, that's, that's going to open the market endlessly. Pharmaceuticals, we're already in that space. KUKA's been in that space for a long time as far as healthcare goes. But, you know, pharmaceuticals and actual surgeries, and that's going to continue to grow. Uh, food prep, you know, we're, and we're still talking about labor shortages in some cases, food prep. You know, that's just the area that uh, we just simply can't find people. Material handling applications always been a big growth area. Pick something up, you're basically putting something down. You know, most manufacturing companies, you know, that's what they need. So even small companies with uh, manual processes, you know, have need for palletizing the back end of the production facility. 
but if you ask me, I think in the next couple of years, if we focus and look at the areas that we simply can't find the skilled labor, that's going to be the markets continue to grow. There's a lot of cool technology out there, you know, with AI and so forth. It's just, it might be almost five years ahead of where we are today. We're still trying to resolve the current issues, but five years from now, yeah, it's going to be hot. One, one thing that jumped out, I don't want to downplay this either, because I've seen some pretty impressive videos of KUKA robots being used for surgical applications. And I think that's something that for maybe the casual listener of this show, they might not realize that that robots are primed and ready for those type of applications. Is, I, may, I want to make sure I'm not speaking out of turn. That is correct, right? That is correct. That is correct. I mean, there's, a, there's also a limit to it, but, but yeah, it's actually, you know, for hair follicles, as an example, radiation for cancer patients. So there is a space for that and it's growing. I want to ask you a little bit about the culture side at KUKA here, but as we wrap up this part of our conversation, what I want to ask is, is there an application that you've seen over the past couple of years that's really impressed you or one that stands out where you're like, huh, that's pretty cool. Or maybe one, uh, maybe one that surprised you a little bit. Yeah, there's actually one in Vegas that would fit really well with your show, uh, where it's a robot in a bar setting, <laughs> and it actually will make your drink for you, and that's always a fun one. Um, but no, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of applications out there, and, and you know it's interesting when you see them come through. Like I have a a friend of mine has a tire changing business using robots, and if you think about that and, and think about your discount tires of the world, for example. You know, that's another labor shortage. And so there's just so many applications and they come to us every day and you look at them like, that's just really cool. But, you know, I'm not sure that's a business. It's, it's a cool application. It's just not sure it's a business, but, but some of them really are businesses. And, and I, I see it being, being here for the future. I always appreciate a good uh, manufacturing happy hour tie-in. I have seen those uh, robot cocktail makers out there in Vegas as well. Because I think, uh, in fact, it was just a couple episodes ago, we were talking about having a collaborative robot hand you a beer, right? But it's another thing to make the drink as a whole. That's that's right. I, I want to ask you a bit about KUKA at this point, because you've been in your career gravitating towards companies on the cutting edge. What's something unique about KUKA, let's say from a culture standpoint, that you feel sets them apart? So, I mean, culture in, in KUKA, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that every company strives for is a strong culture. You know, getting people to believe in the culture, embrace it in the culture, you know, that's simply not something that is overnight. Most organizations, culture evolves and changes with time. We have people on our team that have been with us for 33 plus years. You can, you can imagine the culture change over the years from different, you know, leadership or different people in the organization or, or technology changes and whatever it may be, but it has it's probably changed 15 different times, I would say. Robotics is exciting. You know, our technology is amazing. Uh, but, you know, we should, at the end of the day, it's our people. You know, we try to empower our team to take an entrepreneurial stake in the company, you know, to try new things, uh, make decisions on their own, whatever it is. At the end of the day, it's the forefront of these decisions and development, smooth processes. It's all about our customers. So if we improve a process inside, it's with our customers in mind. So just giving our team the, the ability to, you know, to make decisions, to make mistakes, and, and, you know, it helps the whole organization. 
man, a couple things there that I could ask about. Giving people the ability to make mistakes is a huge one. Um, I think trust is a big thing in any of these organizations when it comes to culture. And, and I'm curious, back to your comment about you know making it okay for people to fail and comfortable with that or make mistakes. You know, how how do you enable that while allowing you to get, you know, forward results from the hiccups that come along the way? There's always hiccups. It's just the size of the hiccup. You know, and we can handle small hiccups and even big ones. Uh, it's a slower fix, but it happens. I mean, some of the best leaders in the world have huge hiccups. And, and you just have to recover. Um, you know, our CEO of our company constantly says, you know, it's okay to fail, just do it fast and recover mm-hmm. and learn from it and move on. And so, yeah, continuing to share that message with our team, letting them know it's, it's okay, you know, you know, just use your brain, come up with some new ideas. I'm not going to sit around and tell you I have the best ideas because, you know, I don't. And, and I hear some great ideas all the time. In fact, I've started this silly thing and I call it lunch with Nate. And this is really silly thing that I do. And people make fun of me in the organization, but you know, I I pull, you know, three people together through a team's call and and we just sit there and talk and we we talk about, you know, anything, family, whatever it may be, but it always seems to end up in business. And, and and I find out a lot of things through these calls. It's, uh, it just allows me to hear of their ideas and I take note of them. I take them serious. And then. You know, we, we look at it and we evaluate it and we, we implement it if we need to. You find out about processes that are, are broken within the organization. You know, we, we need to fix these processes because at the end of the day, it, it falls back on our customers. I love this idea. I want to ask you a bit a bit more about this. So you do lunch with Nate, which, by the way, shame on anyone for making fun of you for this. I mean, this is a perfect. <laughs> this is right in line with the manufacturing happy hour mission. It's chatting as if you're having a drink or a meal with someone. I'm curious when you do this because I want to give some actionable advice for the listeners out here. Are you bringing in three people in the same department from different departments? Like, what's what's the vibe here? Are you trying to get mixed perspectives in these areas. I'm curious to get a little more, little more detail here. I, actually, I do. I, I bring someone from our inside sales team, maybe a concept or quote engineer. I bring a key account manager who's focused on big, you know, tier one automotive. And I bring someone from a territory. So it's never three territory guys. It's never all inside sales. It's always that mix. And, and we haven't gotten to the point where I'm bringing in operational side to the sales team. It's coming. <laughs> But it's not there yet. You know, we've got a, a decent-sized team, so we're going to be eating for, for years. <laughs> I love it. No, this is great. Those are the, 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 those are the type of tips that go a long way with our audience. If you're out there listening and you're not running or washing dishes right now, hey, try to you know, dry off your hands, take notes, because that's a big one there. So lunch with Nate at KUKA. All right, we're, <laughs> we're going to move on to uh, another question here. But, you know, this goes back to... To, this goes back to your customers and a topic that's come up on the show before is how do you get people comfortable with new technology? And you're someone that even before you were working with robotics has been working on things that people haven't necessarily used before. So how do you get someone comfortable with new technology? That's always, that's always difficult. It's, um, you know, you can have the best product. I always use this as an example. Yeah, you can have the greatest website in the world that does everything, but if no one knows about it, it's sort of a pointless site. Um, and also, you, your timing—timing timing is a huge issue when it comes to um, 
you know, new technologies. Um, if I was to go back and look at my, my security days, I mean, what I was building and selling to, uh, customers was ocean going container security, you know, to protect us from, from dirty bombs and things like that. But at that time, it was a lot of focus on airplanes. So I had great technology. I was ahead five years ahead, but the focus at that point in time was on airlines. You, you got to make sure that you're launching at the right timing. I think it's first and foremost, but also, you know, more social media exposure, more case studies, more demonstrations, uh, showing up to events like IMTS or any of the other ones and, and doing actual demos, just more exposure and making sure that you're falling in line with what's really needed at the time. Yeah, we've we've covered a lot of ground in our conversation today from culture back to some of the applications, back to your story. I've got one last question as we wrap up. You know, what are you excited about that you and Kuka are doing these days? We've talked in a lot of generalities about some of the applications that are out there, but I'd love to hear some of the things that are on the horizon that you, maybe you're excited about in the industry in general or at Kuka specifically. Well, when you say that, the first thing I think of is, is my team, you know, and, you know, again, I'm responsible for, you know, GI and, and tier one growth in, in the U.S. So if I think of my team and where we were when I started to where we are today, not all because of me, you know, it's because of the, the mentorship within the groups and, and just working together, collaboration. And we really have a solid team. I'm really proud of these guys because it's just, it's showing it's showing our growth and there's no question about it. And then so also from the marketing area, I mean, we're really doing some things that I don't believe Cook has ever done before. You know, so I'm really excited about that. Just in, you know, we have a, a new marketing group and then just kind of empowering them to try different things. Something that's a little bit out of the box, a little bit crazy. I'm like, Hey, the crazier, the better. Let's do that. <laughs> you know, because things are different, especially after COVID. You just, you know, I think it's a great time to make a change. And I'm going to break my own rules and get a, a little specific here. I mean, you have, we, we talked about cobots a bit. You have a new cobot that's coming on the market, right? The LBR Easy? Yeah. So the, the KUKA IRB Easy, you know, and along with the uh, II KUKA operating system, you know, it's, it's really uh, an easy to program. You know, it's not only for the experienced uh, users out there, it's also for the beginners. Three models, 3kg, 11kg, 15kg models. But the key to the any cobot is just easy to install, fast to deploy, easy to program, and it has to be cost competitive. So, you know, I think along with the, uh, the operating system, you know, much like an iPhone, nowadays when you buy an iPhone, you have to see instructions that come with it. No, it's just intuitive. You just pick it up and, and you just understand it. And so getting to that kind of ecosystem and, and operating system is just going to make deploying these robots even even simpler. And, and we've got that. So I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, operating system transfer over some of our industrial robots or you know, some of our bigger robots down the line. Making robots is easy as an iPhone. Love that analogy there. Nate, I just want to say thank you so much for jumping on the show today. Appreciate the time and uh, for sharing your story here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Uh, it's been fun. So hopefully I'll see you, buddy guys, huh? That sounds like a plan. We'll get the blues music cranking and a couple beers in hand. Thanks again. That sounds great. Thanks, Chris. Hey, thanks for listening. And a big thank you to Nate for jumping on today's show. 
It was awesome that he was able to take some of the questions around Cobots that have come up in the comments, in our community, etc. So if you ever have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, make sure you're taking part in our conversations online on LinkedIn. You can find us at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community to join those conversations today. Now, I think you could tell that I also loved his whole lunch with Nate idea, and we actually got to talking a bit about that after the episode ended. We were talking about trade show booths and hospitality events, and he was saying that his goal is to get to the point that we're having beer and chicken wings together. That really resonated since this whole idea of manufacturing happy hour is to talk about our tech as if we're having beer with someone, in this case, beer and chicken wings. That sounds really good. And I love how he's using that as a strategy for his own team. Anyway, if you want to access any of the resources we mentioned in today's show, if you want to register for IMTS, or if you want to learn about the Bar Buddy Guys, which is in Chicago, so hopefully you're making a stop there if you are going to IMTS 2022, well, all those links are at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 105. One last mention that this episode was done in partnership with KUKA. I'm going to be collaborating with them in Chicago here September 12th through 17th at IMTS 2022. If you want to check us out, we're going to be at booth number 236807. You can see applications from friction stir welding, water jet cutting, robot machine tending, 3D printing, All the topics that we were talking about, well, you can see that in action with KUKA at IMTS 2022. For more information or to register, you can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash KUKA 2022. And even if you're listening to this episode after September 2022, well, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash KUKA 2022 anyway to learn what they're currently up to. And with that, that's a mouthful for this week. It's time to wrap up the episode. Stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we hope to see you in Chicago real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour, powered by the Industrial Network.